0: Oh, thank you all for tuning in to the 517th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, Daryl D. Lane, as always, wherever you are, however, you may be listening. I will thank you for making me in this show part of your day, whether you're Spotify, iTunes, Sit Your Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Everyday SoundCloud, Clap, Pandora, whichever podcast, number platform you may be listening to me via. Get up great podcast for all you guys today. Going to have Kenny Simons, cutting expert, returns for different sports to break down and recap everything that went down for Week 15 of NFL action. Now, before I get to that conversation with Kenny, I'm going to give my shameless plug as always. First time listener, thank you, but subscribe and follow right now. Also, share this podcast to friends and family, whether it or other ads, Facebook groups, et, et cetera, Check on the description below. Specifically, if you use Spotify, everything timestamped. You can click on the timestamp and we'll send you to whichever part of the podcast you would most like to listen to, folks. It is for your convenience. Follow me on Twitter at Nitra underscore Lane and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Just type in Daryl Lynn. You'll find that I post two to five minute clips of this podcast right here. As well as my syndicate show outside the shop. And lastly, if you've had a iTunes, it's going to be five stars and a great review. And for some oddities and raving on the pod, then fret not working out, folks, but just don't say anything. Because you know what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. And cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to have Kenny Sim on the show. Cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with the Barbershop Sports Talk and we have Kenny Sim with us getting expert for 247 sports to break down and recap everything that went down for week 15 of NFL action. Kenny, how you doing? How you feeling? How you living? My guy.
1: Good, Daryl. We're really getting down to the stretch run of the NFL season and a lot of times it comes down to who's healthier at this point of the year. It is a grind and there's still three weeks to go but Playoff picture slowly beginning to take take shape
0: though in both conferences. Yeah, I hundred percent agree with you when it comes to that. And great week of football, multiple overtime games today. Fantasy football uh, round one starts for a lot of people out there. The gambling's going good. The NFL, best reality TV show in the world, with so many subplots. Day after day, week after week, hour after hour, second after second. So let's start with the Sunday Night Football. Giants beat the Commanders 20-12. to So last play, Taylor Heineke dropping back, doesn't complete the pass, which would have potentially allowed them to tie the game. Was there any funny business in the secondary for the Giants? Was it too physical? Were there any holes? Did you like the no-call on fourth down? Well, it definitely
1: looked like. Giants got away with a defensive hold and then a pass interference. A lot of contact by the defender. But the referee is likely behind the cornerback, so he does not see that in the front, but it was missed by the officiating crew. And you know, they don't want to make that call to begin with, but the Giants did get away with pass interference. There was clear contact that impeded the receiver's ability to catch the football. But nonetheless, it was a no-call. And the Giants escaped with the win, though.
0: How big of a loss do you think a guy like Chase Young is in a game like this? I think he should be ready to go next week, but uh, he was supposed to go, I think, this uh, game, too, but then had another setback, said he needs some, get some more practice reps in. But how big of a loss think a guy like that is in games like these? It's
1: a big loss. big loss. Especially you got a front four that's already solid to begin with. So when you get that front four back, from the last time we saw Chase Young, defensive player, uh, defensive rookie of the year, that was a front four with him, Montez Sweat, Deron Payne, that became the number three scoring defense in football in 2020. So getting him, it's another pass rusher. But it's not not just another pass rusher. It's a guy that can make those splash plays in the game. So whether it be those third down plays to keep Daniel Jones in the pocket, prevent him from running, get added pressure, maybe you get that turnover, which he's prone to do under pressure, it's it's for a guy like Chase Young. It's probably three or four plays that he could single-handedly make that either result in you know uh, uh, incompletion or errant pass that's not seen in the box score, and then maybe he makes one of those trick sacks or fumbles. But um, he he is close, but he's not there yet. But that would have just added to a ferocious pass rush. He, you know, with Deron Payne, John, Jonathan Allen inside, and Montez Sweat, Chase Young on the outside, that's an excellent front four. So it's already good to begin with, but with him, then you have four guys that can all win their 1v1 matchups, and someone's going to have a 1v1 matchup on the interior to work with. On area on, on uh, pass blocking, you know, with the Giants that... Um, you know, a team like Washington can definitely exploit and get pressure.
0: How big of a loss was this for the Commanders?
1: Well, this was one with Commanders. With the win, they actually set up a little bit better than the Giants. With the win, they had about a 91% chance to make the playoffs. Now they lose, now they're under 40. They're, they're about a 33% chance to make the playoff. But this was definitely a game where the winner of this game with both teams 7-5-1, the winner of this game would set up very nicely to make the playoffs. And the loser would be looking at, you know, a, a, a tough path. A tough path, to say the least. Because now, Washington's sitting there a half a game up. Remember, they have the tie. They're a half a game up on Seattle and Detroit. So, they ideally need to get Two wins, I would say, to be safe. And now it's tough because now they have to be. Um, next week they get exiled to San Francisco to play that team, and then they got Cleveland, and then they finish up the last game of the year against Dallas. Now against Dallas, Dallas might be re- da- Dallas will probably be resting their starters that game. So this was even more important for Washington because if they would have won this game set up the path to nine wins. I'm thinking nine wins is going to be what it takes to be there because nine, seven, and one beats nine and eight. Now, you know, with that loss, they're a half a game up still, but they need to probably win two of the next three. And one of those games is San Francisco. So, whoever won this game was looking very good. Whoever lost this game is probably looking at, I would say, less than a 50-50 chance of making the playoffs. And now it's going to be tough. Um, You you got a Seattle team that is teetering, but, you know, they got uh, Jets at home and the Rams. Detroit ends up with having uh, Panthers, Bears-Lions, so they're set up nicely to run the table. Uh, but it, with this loss today, um, Washington's probably going to have to win win a game that they're not favored to win um, to make the playoffs. But whoever lost this game was going to be in a three-horse race and probably having the schedule working against them for that seventh seed.
0: And now the Giants get one step closer to officially clenching, getting their first playoff appearance in the Brian Dable and Daniel Jones era, for what that's worth. Uh, Really, the the Giants' passing offense just isn't good, though. And that's really the thing. When it comes down to, if they're in a playoff scenario, they're not going to be able to beat any of the really good teams in football. I mean, they're probably a one-and-done team, right? You can't be this mediocre in the passing game. Daniel Jones is what he is. Their weapons on the outside are just... Atrocious. Kenny Galladay has more receiving touchdowns. And no, excuse me. Andrew Thomas has more receiving touchdowns than Kenny Galladay. The left tackle has more receiving touchdowns than uh, one of the receivers on your team. A highly paid and compensated wide receiver on your team. Uh, so, I don't anticipate the Giants going anywhere fast, Kenny. Well, I kind of see this, you know, I kind of see
1: this like the... Uh 2017 Buffalo Bills with similar type of structure Uh, just so happens that the head coach or GM both came from Buffalo but remember, Buffalo made the playoffs in 2017 with kind of a bridge quarterback I would say and that really set the program up nicely then they had to take a step back in 2018 with a rookie in Josh Allen to take two steps forward but similar to the Giants, you know, I mean, I don't see them giving a big extension to Daniel Jones or going forward. If you take a look at, I mean, if Daniel Jones is on the team, I mean, how does the, how does him and the arc of the New York Giants look next year and in two years from now, you know, they, they, they probably are going to be looking elsewhere at quarterback eventually to go where they want to go. It's competing in the, NFC East and you know, making the playoffs consistently in the Super Bowl so um, they still need to work that out but to make the playoffs this year is a huge accomplishment for this team and Brian Dable is doing more with less that passing game is a makeshift passing game, it was already a week to begin with, it has been totally ravaged by injuries I mean they got one of their you know, receivers running, running the most routes is Isaiah Hodgkins and then Rich, Richie James, but they rely a lot on this type of style of game is really the only one that works out. So creating turnovers on defense, having a, a team that does not have the best offense, where they can hold a team under twenty points, and then running the ball, you know, maybe getting a couple of runs with Saquon Barkley, a short field, and putting together, you know,
0: one or two touchdown drives. Now we're going to go to the Buffalo Bills who played on Saturday and they played the Miami Dolphins. They went 33-29. to The fourth straight playoff berth clinched by the Buffalo Bills. What does that say about the program, Kenny?
1: That having both Sean McDermott and Billy Bean, when they did bring those guys in in 2017, that they built this the right way through the draft, having you know, guys that they've developed high draft picks at those premium positions making this trade, but they are set up to have long term sustainable success in the NFL and making the playoffs now for a fourth straight year gives them the proof that is in the pudding that this is a program that. You know as long as they have those three guys being McDermott Josh Allen they're set up for long-term sustainable success and to be a a a team that plays in Jan deep in January year in and year out um you know it's hard to make the playoffs in in the NFL let alone you know doing it multiple years now but they're one of the you know three or four teams two to four teams in the NFL that is able to make the playoffs year in and year out like that long term sustainable success what every franchise strives to do
0: yeah Josh Allen made some few wild throws during that game I think back to uh, late second quarter uh most teams will kind of just kneel it out or run out the clock. And Josh Allen just goes, bing, 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 goes all the way down the field and then throws a crazy sidearm throw-off balance to running back James Cook and Sean McDermott's like, well, we didn't really draw that up. But, you know, Josh is Josh. And then the only reason why I'm looking at Josh right now, and I'm like, the only reason he's not, the best scrambler in the NFL is because there's that guy number 15 in Kansas City who's probably the greatest scrambler of the history of the game. So when you have Josh Allen, he covers up so much and he makes so much spectacular plays. That just allows for the Bills to, you know, be in this era where they have four straight playoff appearances, right? Uh, because the quarterback's the most important position on the field and he is one of the special quarterbacks we've seen in this game. Uh in terms of Josh Allen's carries, though, he had 10. They ran him a lot, particularly in the second half of the game. you think that's probably a little bit too much to be doing right now. You know, I'm more of a fan of the Josh Allen running when it comes to the playoffs, obviously, when I go home. I don't know how much I like that as a fan personally uh, in the regular season.
1: Well, again, it's a weekly thing. Again, not having someone that can carry the load at running back not Devin Singletary. He's struck about 10 to 13 carries every week. James Cook has not been asked to take on that role either, so it's kind of a a three-man combo with Allen, Singletary, and Cook taking on all the running back carries. And they're putting a lot on Josh Allen. Eventually, you know, he's going to break down or it's going to be less efficient carries. Maybe that slips to the passing game. But they definitely need to be able to have a running back that they can hand the ball off to in four-minute offense and close the game like that. Um, You know, that would have been perfect for this type of game when they were up and they needed that. Now, they were able to really take on Josh Allen heroics at the end of the game to to possess the ball and kick a field goal to end the game. But, you know, it's definitely something where he he's being asked to do a ton. And, you know, especially in this weather in Buffalo, or no matter where they you know they play in Cincinnati or Kansas City in the playoffs, there's going to be inclement weather. Teams are going to need to be able to run the football at least to mix it in.
0: Yeah, and it's also interesting. A lot was made. Obviously, uh, High Field looked like it was going to be snowed out uh, in the beginning of the day. They got a lot of the snow out of there. Then snow came later at the end of that game. You think it's kind of a myth that these cold weather teams they're better off, you know, without domes and it can snow and they have to deal with the elements. Because once the snow started to come in Buffalo, their offense completely changed and it went from the Josh Allen high flying show. So them starting to run the football more and more, they're just trying to barely eke it out, and then they're worrying about, hey, can Tyler Bass, their kicker, make this field goal because of all the snow on the ground and the footing? So do you think think it's kind of a myth that the cold weather actually helps these home teams? Definitely.
1: Buffalo needs to scrap that stadium plan. They sent out the stadium plan, the initial pictures for that new, new stadium. They need to put a dome over that. They need to put a dome over that especially with Josh Allen in a high-flying offense for years to come, you want to have, as a team, the Bills want to have probably the most ideal conditions for potent offense. And you could control the climate. There's no inclement weather in a dome. And so that would give the Bills a huge advantage. But with with, with a high-powered offense that ideally is pass-first, pushing the ball down the field with explosive plays to have every advantage in the book, definitely domes are the way to go.
0: In terms of the Dolphins, they've been on a little bit of a losing skid as of late. Should Dolphins fans be concerned with what's kind of happened to Tua in this offense?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's happened for three straight weeks now. I mean, after starting off so hot, he has really struggled to complete 50% of his passes the last three games. He's, he's, he's been under 50%. He has five touchdowns and three interceptions. The accuracy is declining. Now, he made some nice deep throws, I think, that, that were schemed open, but he's another one. You know, in the second half of that game, really had a touchdown to Waddle, and you know they throw their deep shot on the goal line. Waddles waiting for the ball again, and it was far. You know it was about ten yards short, and he couldn't come. He couldn't come back to the ball like that. It should have been a touchdown. So that happens every few, uh, every few times. But it ha- happens several times a game for Tua, and I have worries about him, especially when they have to go on the road. In a type of uh, in in the cold weather, you know, whether it's going back to Buffalo, going to Kansas City, going to Cincinnati, playing in that cold weather with him um, against those teams with those defenses, I have a lot of reservations still, and it's been a key stretch, and you know they they played three solid teams that are looking to make deep playoff runs over the last few weeks and they've all been on that national TV be watched 49ers, Chargers, Bills and 2-0 really hasn't played a good game in, in any of those three
0: how big of a risk are the Dolphins at of like falling out of the playoff picture right now Because right now, if the playoffs still in the day, they'd be in the playoffs, obviously. But, I mean, if they keep playing like this, Kenny.
1: Yeah, I would think they should be okay still with a home game. A home game. Um, in, in good weather. A home game next week against the Packers.
0: And they're going to have to go to Foxborough, right?
1: Yes, yes. But they play... The Packers next week, the Packers will be playing on a short week since they play on Monday night, and they then um, have a home game on the last game of the year against the Jets as well. They're a better team than the Jets. Um, So they got two games against teams at home where they're the better team. They should be able to get one of those, and then they got that game in New England. So they should be okay at, you know, about 10 wins, I would say. And that seven seed, that seven seed looks like it's going to be 9 wins. So they should be in good shape. Um, and I have to see how the tiebreakers go for the AFC East because Patriots and Jets are in there too. But, but right now, um, you know, the Dolphins are in good shape of making the playoffs still.
0: Now let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles. They had a little bit of a tough little scrap but the Chicago Bears, but the Eagles prevailed, 25 to 20. A few things. I thought the Bears did a really good job of getting downhill uh, in terms of their running defense. Their linebackers they really attacked Philadelphia. Uh, the Eagles, they weren't their usual self, their usual dominant self when it came to running the football consistently. Yeah, Jalen Hurts, he had two turnovers. He threw two interceptions. That's something typically Philadelphia does not do. Chicago got them in a few third and longs. Uh, the timing also wasn't there from Jalen. He missed some deep passes The A.J. Brown, which he usually doesn't, uh, missed a few other throws out there. Do you think that there has been now a blueprint that Chicago's kind of given to, right, you can kind of slow down the Eagles a little bit?
1: We made a little bit of a blueprint, but, you know, not a lot. Um, Yeah, not a lot. There was a, you know, a few... Few plays, um, but you know it's gonna have to. It's 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 gonna take a unique team to be able to first uh, stop the run from Philadelphia early on, particularly the running backs, and then you know having Jalen Hurts have to carry the ball over 15 times and then throw it especially on third downs so having the, so so that's the blueprint everyone knows now now doing it is going to be difficult and it's going to take you know definitely a unique team to be able to do that to, to stop the run first then be able to get pressure on Jalen Hurts and have the corners to be able to cover probably one on one with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. And Jalen Johnson did a pretty good job today on A.J. Brown. They were going back and forth. But, you know, all it takes is one play on third down, on a critical third down to move the sticks. And it's just so hard to be able to come up with those, you know, stops and leaning on those corners time and time again. To do that and you know the Bears had about half of them I think they got you know about 50-50 uh, with, with him and then even even Kyle Gordon and Devontae Smith both number sixes were going at it and and you know one time a third third down they threw a slot big to Devontae Smith he got two feet in so it's, it's just hard to be able to cover receivers like that let alone A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith time and time again. So it's going to take a team that has the corners to be able to do that, or at least a pass rush to get Jalen Hurts off his spot. So There's only, I mean, looking at it, probably San Francisco is the only defense in the NFC that has all of that personnel to be able to do that.
0: Yeah, I still am kind of with there with you. I was kind of on the Dallas train as well maybe a little bit until obviously their performance these last few weeks has been less than stellar. And, you know, the Vikings, you know, the Vikings will never beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, that game will just get uglier and uglier. That's the uh, what I've come to terms with in terms of that matchup. Uh, Jalen Hurts, though, two interceptions, right? Uh, not his best game. How much this hurt him in the MVP conversation,
1: I don't know if it's a good game. Patrick Mahomes going to put him a little bit behind there. Um, still think it should go to Patrick Mahomes. He's the best player in the league.
0: Uh, Without Tyreek Hill, by the way, lost the best receiver in football, and the offense is still what the best offense.
1: <laughs> yeah, still the number one scoring. I think it's number two. It's number one and number two in scoring offense and all that. But but I mean I, I mean he's, he's he's the best player on a team that is favorite to win the Super Bowl and again you take Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts off their respective teams Kansas City is far worse off than the Eagles which still has enough infrastructure at the skill positions defense, offensive line to be able to get by Um, so that I mean if it's a close game at the end, what quarterback do you not want to see coming out of the field? If your team's on defense, Patrick Mahomes, um, adding all of that up, still think you should probably go to him.
0: So Hassan Reddick had two sacks, one tackle for loss, almost had another sack, but then Justin Fields like just spun out of it and made one of the... Craziest non-touchdown runs because he stepped out of bounds. I've just ever seen in my entire life. But uh, Hassan Reddick, and you know, another kind of dominant game for him. Is he the most underrated edge in the NFL? Because I feel like in a world where we all we talk about is right, Von Miller, Miles Garrett, the Watt brothers, the Bosa brothers, Max Crosby. Nobody really talks about Hassan Reddick. Is he the most underrated edge in football? Matthew Judah might have a claim for that one as well. Second and yeah, no, second. Yeah, I mean those guys are definitely the under. Yeah, those, those guys definitely
1: underrated guys that do not get the accolades as some of the star players, but they they perform and show out game in and game out week in and week out. You know, you could add a, you had him in there. You had a Jalen Brown from Tennessee in there too a Matthew Judon, those are definitely all guys that are highly productive players that do not get looked upon. They're all pros and pro bowls and how their defense changes when they're on the field but how you know to a certain extent how the team that they were on how their defense looks or how, how hard of a time they've had replacing, you know, a player like that, how hard it was to replace the Hassan Reddick in Arizona and losing 10 sacks. And then you kind of see the bump Philadelphia gets with him as one of their top pass rushers in, in a, you know have in, 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 in a defense that has a, a huge pool of pass rushers to deploy and him being one of them um, so you probably not get accolades there because he's one of about six or seven defensive linemen that they rotate um, keeping but but he's but by doing that he, he keeps his teammates fresh and he's able to stay fresh himself but he's on the list of A very underrated player, but being an underrated player who also you know turns out very solid seasons every year.
0: Now let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs versus the Houston Texans. The Chiefs won thirty to twenty-four in overtime. The game looked in doubt for a little bit, possibly. I thought as a Bills fan, maybe just maybe the Texans could pull up the upset of the century. And make sure the Bills had sole possession of the best record in the AFC. But it didn't happen. But by the way, Kenny, any concerns for Kansas City, right? They're playing with the devil a little bit in their close game with the Denver Broncos, right? Russell Wilson went out. You have a backup quarterback. Denver also has been very good. Then you play Houston. Worst team in the NFL. I know they played the Dallas Cowboys stuff. But given how the Dallas Cowboys just played against the Jaguars, maybe the Cowboys aren't who we thought they were. But you know, given they played the Texans stuff and Texans and Houston had them on the rope, should there be any concerns about what's going on in Kansas City as we head towards the home stretch of the playoffs?
1: This was an absolute lose-lose game for the Chiefs, and only a few of these games happen every year. They were favored to win by 14 points. I think both teams knew who was going to win that game, <laughs> so they so 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 they could not possibly win this game. today. They, they lose. You know, the loss is the loss. They win close, they're going to get ripped for playing the Texans too close. And if they win, they get no credit because they were expected to win by a ton. So this was one of those rare games that Kansas City Chiefs could not have possibly won today. So definitely, you, you, you know, you match up the teams. Both teams know who's better. Um, so the motivation, probably the focus during the week was not there and it's one of those games um also you add the fact that they're on the road as well so adding all that up it was a spot to maybe have a little bit of a letdown and you know looking ahead to the playoffs a little bit so that adds up to the Chiefs would like to see the Chiefs kind of put the foot on the gas though at the end and kind of pull away like some teams do um they were not able to do that, and they got into a barn burner. But I don't think I mean, I'm I mean even in the close game, there was never really a doubt that they were going to win the game though. Um, and and part of that was the play that they had, Patrick Mahomes. I mean, he had five incompletions all game, the third 36 of 41, uh, really solid, really solid performance today, and he helped. You know, keep the team alive and one of those were because they had him there was always the sense that if they really needed to get a score they were going to be able to do that and they were I, you, you know Houston scored uh, they go up 21-16 and then the uh, Chiefs had a nice long drive to retake the lead and Mahomes and then, um, you know, got them into field goal range before the interregulation was no good. Uh, if anything, Houston, you know, probably played a lot of that shell look, that too high look, and tried to really just make the Chiefs earn it, going long plays, eating up a lot of clock, and probably trying to keep the score close. Um, but... That's one of the only ways to really slow down this Chiefs team. And they were, and, and you know they they were somewhat successful in that regard. The Texans.
0: What do you make of the Chiefs running the football more and more? Thirty-three rushes today. Uh, Pacheco got ten plus carries. Was really running the ball well, physical downhill. Jerry McKinnon uh, running the football too. and They got him involved in the passing game as well. Uh, Sky Moore. They got him involved on a few carries you see Patrick Mahomes under center just a little bit more. What do you make of uh, Andy Reed and company and be enemies kind of new approach that it seems like they're kind of upticking the running game a little bit.
1: Yeah. That, that run game too, you know, when you run it that much, that, that run game has a tendency to really wear on defenses and slow them down and, and really make them burn it. But, But that run game, you know, you run it enough like that over 30 times that has a tendency to really wear down a defense as the game goes on. And, you know, by also running the ball, the Chiefs are forcing the defense to have their tackle 33 times, which is not always the case on passing plays. But but they're forcing – you know, thirty-three tackles by the defense, and 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 it wears on them, especially in the fourth quarter. But this is definitely something that you know I would say teams that are similar um, offensively to the Chiefs, like the Dolphins, like the Bills, ha- having this two-person Combination with defined roles. So, so the Chiefs definitely found their combination after all these weeks of Pacheco and McKinnon. And you know, it, it's it's fifty fifty, maybe a little bit more Pacheco, but he's going to get a lot of carries in between the tackles and being a physical runner. That that number one back that's going to take on those carries. Then they pepper in McKinnon who's going to keep them on his run, running the ball a little bit. You know, he's going to get 10 to 12 carries a game, but he is dynamic in the passing game, a lot like a a, a lot like maybe like a Moser or maybe a James Cook um, with the Bills Dolphins. And so he adds um, another weapon in the pass game that they go to a lot, and, and they've been going to McKinnon a lot in the pass game. And, and he continues to catch all those targets and turn them into, you know, big, uh, big plays. And so that type of backfield combination, especially when the weather gets bad and it's going to get cold in Kansas City in January, um, having that run game to lean on or at least be a safety net is just going to make the Chiefs more dangerous. You know, when you got Mahomes back there, too, in the backfield.
0: What does Mahomes have to do to start separating himself truly from Jalen Hurts in this MVP race? Because you could argue him winning close games like this, being the vocal point in the offense, does go a long way for him. So what do you think we need to start seeing from Mahomes to really start separating from Jalen?
1: All right. Probably having, you know, just really solid games like that from here on out, um, and and getting the wins as well. So right now, uh, you know, Hurts is minus one seventy five to win the MVP. So he's a uh, he's 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 the favorite right now, Jalen Hurts. Now he struggled today. So if it's, it's, if 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 Mahomes could put together three of these. Solid games to end the year like that, where he's completing, I mean, over 70% of his passes. You know, the quarterback rating getting up there and being among the league leaders, if not the league leader in QBR and quarterback rating, and and winning games like that and playing at a high level, that could give them the edge as well. Now, um, for the one seed, If the Chiefs are able to get the one seed, which they do not control their own destiny, but they're one Bill's loss away, um, getting the one seed in the AFC when a lot of people in the preseason did not even pick the Chiefs to win the division, and here we are at the end of the year and they're the one seed in the AFC, that is going to go a long ways as well. With all those changes... The Kansas City Chiefs are right there at the end of the year in the one seed playoffs in the AFC, run through Arrowhead in Kansas City. You have could get to uh, Mahomes the MVP too, because it is a little it, it it is a big narrative award as well. But right now, um, seems to be that he, you know the field has separated, and, and 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 it's Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes right now for the MVP with only three weeks to go.
0: So what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break and then come up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk where to talk more Week 15 of NFL Action. Cut up next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Same game parlays, easy, fast payouts, player prop options, etc., cetera, et cetera, You guys know the deal. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out right now. Everyone can earn up to 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app and place a same-game parlay and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code TBPN, place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game, and get $150 in free bets. If they do, only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code TBPN. And now it's time for you, Mariah. All I want for Christmas is you. You love the holidays and you love betting. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk stuff. Kenny, some of the scouting expert from Georgia Sports and Sports as we break down and recap everything that went down for Week 15 of NFL action. So, Kenny, the Dallas Cowboys—they were gutless on the road in Jacksonville. The Jaguars come back to win 40 34 in overtime. How bad of a loss was this for the Cowboys on a one-to-ten?
1: locked into the five C uh, which is a little bit of a little bit of a slight risk. Yes, they will draw the NFC South team, but they really will not be playing a game of significant importance for about a month. And they are a little bit banged up in the secondary, but you know, this is one where even if a team with a very good quarterback is behind the Cowboys, that the deficit is not too big to come back on. And that's what the Jaguars did um, today.
0: Yeah, I also thought this is a little bit of coming of age for trevor lawrence i mean he made a few moves in the pocket where he spends out of pressure makes some throws on the run made some tight window throws and you look at him and you are like this is the dude that we've all been waiting to see i mean he threw four touchdown passes really had command and it's like this is the guy that we're seeing that has a talent of a top five quarterback is this the best game you've seen trevor lawrence play his entire career yes i thought it was last against the Titans
1: was his best game however he he followed that up with today this win was the signature win this year for Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence but we put Trevor Lawrence on trial in the middle of October saying we really need to start looking at this guy closely and what he's got and that, that second half of the year the last five games the last five games, he has 13 touchdowns, one interception, four games with quarterback rating over 100, three of those games 70% completions. So he's had now he's had now three of his last five games. He's had three or more touchdowns and completed 70% of his passes. He is really coming on um, as being this year even. I would call him a top-ten quarterback this year. He's playing like it. And then you add that in with his pedigree and how comfortable he is. He really needed a a full year to really begin to make an evaluation. Uh, One of the biggest disservices that's happened in the NFL is having him pair with Urban Meyer last year. So this is really his rookie year. But he is really showing signs that this is a guy – that could play quarterback at an A-level, and then you start pairing guys around him, they could begin to make some significant moves next year. And the way he's playing uh, has has kept them... It's, it's, it's really put them uh, definitely in this AFC South division, making a late charge. But I'm just looking at this game, too. He made some tough... Throws today off platform. He had a big play. Uh, they needed to get in range for a field goal at the end of regulation. They had about 20 seconds left, and he had the ball on his own 15, on, on his own 45. So he needed about 15 yards, 20 yards to be safe. He extended the play. He eluded a rush, and then he really had to reset his feet because he was rolling left. Reset it and he threw a strike about 20 yards downfield to the receiver. And, and I mean, it's plays like that that he did not make last year that he's making this year, but it's just plays like that to get in field goal range to get in overtime that if it's not a completed pass, the Jaguars probably lose. But he was making plays in the red zone as well. Uh, they, they have the most... Uh, passing touchdowns in the red zone this year, the Jacksonville Jag- Jaguars, and he made again a lot of nice plays in the red zone today. Uh, you know, attacking the man-to-man coverage, identifying mesh routes quickly, um, and he hit Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, um, Kirk a few times. But he he is really coming into his own as you know, one of those young
0: quarterbacks that you can build a team around. Has he surpassed Justin Fields as the top quarterback in the class again?
1: Well, yes, I would say right now, due to his passing ability in the pocket um, and that type of advancement has given him the edge. That's more sustainable than you know, having to do what Justin Fields has to do, running the football.
0: No, Justin also, Fields is running his special man, though. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's tough to translate that year in and year out to wins. Um, But also, you know, you got to take a look at the context as well, where Jacksonville signed Christian Kirk, who is, you know, Justifying that contract of eighteen million dollars, and that's going to be the type of receiver that the Bears will need. But they pair they, they they pair him up with weapons with a number one receiver and a very good play caller, and you add that up with with the abilities on on what he's doing right now, making plays in the pocket, stepping up under duress he did a few times today, I would say that gives him the edge as that is, you know, more translatable on a weekly basis um, for a quarterback.
0: To go back to the Cowboys really quickly, you think the Cowboys have kind of supplanted them, uh, implanted themselves as the third team in the NFC, like, right? Eagles, then maybe Niners, depending on if Brock Purdy keeps playing how he's playing. And then there's a little bit of a step. And then there's the Cowboys.
1: Yeah, I would put them third. I would put them third. Those are the three teams that have separated themselves from the pack. And I would put the um, Cowboys third there. Definitely behind Mm. the Eagles. And... The 49ers, you know, at least the first few, few games, but with play caller Kyle Shanahan um, and, and, and what he's doing with Brock, Brock Purdy, it, it looks like, you know, just going off the first two games in the future, San Francisco's probably not going to miss a beat on offense. So, you know, that box has been checked for them. And, they have the best defense in football. So then I would put Dallas third.
0: So now I wouldn't go to the Cleveland Browns beating the Baltimore Ravens 13-3. to Kenny, what did you think of the game?
1: It was a workmanlike game. It was a defensive struggle. It was only 16 points. Scored in that game in one touchdown, but it was a, you know, it was a workmanlike performance by the Cleveland Browns. You know, defensively, it was their best game of the year. Offensively, Sean Watson continues to make plays, um, those splash plays, getting more and more comfortable in that offense. And then in the fourth quarter, the most surprising thing was, you know, the running game again, wearing teams down. It wore the Ravens down and, and the Browns were able to run Nick Chubb really exclusively in the fourth quarter and eat clock and chew out the chew chew up the clock and win the game. And that was going against the Ravens defense that since they got Roquan Smith in week eight they were the number one running defense in the NFL. 55 yards a game, number one in yards per carry. They are only allowing 2.8 yards a carry. And Nick Chubb exceeded that. And they were able to use the combination of Nick Chubb, Deshaun Watson, and their defense to get a game over a very good Ravens team that needs it. And still, you know kicker Kate York missed two field goals so that left some points on the board but you know they, they were able to get in scoring range uh, the Browns offense five out of nine possessions
0: what did you think of Deshaun Watson's first game in the dog pound
1: thought he was solid in this game now was going against a Ravens defense that, since they got Roquan Smith, they were also number three in yards allowed, number two in points, only giving up 13 points a game since week eight. So this was a tough defense
0: to crack. And I liked how this was his first game without an interception. Of his 28 passes, none were even close
1: to being intercepted. He was able to get his first passing touchdown. And he made a lot of big-time throws. He, he, he had the deep crosser that the week ago uh, he, he threw late for an interception. He did it on time today. threw a very nice route to Amari Cooper on the opposite hash. A seed on a deep out. It's a long pass to make. And then his running ability, too, especially on third down, the Ravens brought an all-out blitz, and he was able to find the escape hatch and run 17 yards for a first down. So it's was making the plays with his legs, and a few times he did that as well. And what I liked is the Ravens went with a stacked box early in the game, and this traditionally has not happened with the Browns, with Jacoby Brissett and Baker Mayfield. Deshaun Watson threw them out of it, and they eventually had to go to a two-safety look. And then that's that numbers game. Then you can get six on six and run the ball. So, adding all of that up, along with being in inclement weather and a top-notch defense, I thought he was really, I thought he was really good in his first start.
0: How was he received at home for his first home game?
1: He was received in a positive way. Fortunately, they did not announce the offense. They announced the defense. I wanted them to announce the offense. I wanted to see what the reaction would be. You're going to have to announce them eventually. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: that is but, true. It's the elephant in the room. That is true.
1: Yeah, it's probably going to happen next week when it's going to be 15 degrees on Christmas Eve with nobody in the stands. But, um, you know... It, it, that definitely lit up the dog pound when he was making those, those plays on third down, the to touchdown. So uh, it's generally going to be a positive review. And, you know, he's only going to play two games this year at home. And you add that up with time passing. Um, it should, should be overwhelmingly cheers. And, uh, you know, any off field thing would be a complete non topic next year, you know, in about 10 months.
0: In terms of the Ravens, how anemic is their passing offense?
1: Oh, it is rough. They have one option, Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews came back from that knee injury. Wonder He's probably still working through some things because he has not been his normal self about the last three, four games. But if, if, if you're able to double-team Mark Andrews, you just take the Browns' corners, but you take a lot of corners. You can match up on Devin Duvernay and, Marcus and DeMarcus Robinson one-on-one and really make the Ravens having to throw to those receivers. And that's going to be hard for them to be able to you know, score like that and to do that constantly. And... If you could just win on early downs and on third downs, you know, force them to throw to one of those receivers, I don't think they're able to matriculate down the field like that. And they have really struggled, you know, with or without Lamar Jackson. I mean, look at these outputs that they're putting up. Three points, 16 points, 10 points, 27, and 13 points. So they've really been struggling the last few weeks, and especially without a playmaker at quarterback, it's it, it's it's a it's a passing offense that you know defenses don't respect, and they could you know definitely handle and and force them to be able to get into a passing situation and throw to those receivers, but it is anemic.
0: Lamar Jackson should be ready to go next week, right? He,
1: he should be. Now, he did not practice this past week. So, you know, I'm thinking about it from their perspective. They could probably get away with one more week because they played the Falcons at home. So they got a rookie quarterback making a road start against that defense. They could probably get away with it one more week. Uh, so whether Lamar Jackson plays or not, it shouldn't determine the game. Um, but after that, I would think he would be able to play after about you know three or four weeks on uh, New Year's Day against the Steelers. But I think this was the target, too, that last week Adam Schefter said that the Ravens were targeting kind of a Christmas Eve game um, against the against the Falcons because that would be three weeks since that, I think it's called it a PCL sprain, a PCL or MCL sprain is a knee sprain. He's, 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 he's got a mild knee sprain. So next week would be about three calendar weeks, so it's right on the fence, but That was the probably the targeted date, but like I said, maybe one more week to keep him healthy because you know with or without him they should be able to handle the Falcons next week. So you just give them, you know, two more calendar weeks to heal for the Steelers and the Bengals, and then that stretch run into the playoffs.
0: So now let's go to this. The Chargers beat the Titans seventeen to fourteen. The Titans have been on a abysmal little slide lately, even worse than the Miami Dolphins. I think this is their fourth straight loss. Obviously, you know the Eagles game wasn't good. The Bengals game wasn't good. Uh, how much should Tennessee be panicking right now, Kenny? And how close are they to because right? Jaguars 6-8, and eight, Titans, I believe 7-7. Seven and seven. I mean, it's not a crazy world now where the Jacksonville can't take this division. So how concerned should Mike Vareble and company be?
1: Yeah, definitely concerned. Now, the last game of the year, the Jaguars and the Titans play. In the and, and the Jaguars won the first meeting already. So as long as the Jaguars are within a game... The Jaguars could win that game and make the playoffs in the division, but they have to play still. Um, they get the Texans next week, and then they play the Cowboys at home on a short week. But, you know, it's 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 a similar team to, you know, the Ravens in, in, in that if you could just bottle up the run game, They don't really have the receivers or the personnel to have Ryan Tannehill throw, you know, three, four times on third down on a drive and sustain that. So, I mean, it was one today. I mean, their leading receiver was Derrick Henry at 59 yards. You take that out, their their receiver that had the most yards was Chris Conley at 19. So they're like, you know, again, similar to like the Bears with 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 the passing game and the weapons like that, they don't really have that on the perimeter. So it's a ton of Derrick Henry or bust. And it was one today where Ryan Tannehill he left the game on a cart with a an ankle. I mean, how important was that game for for the Titans? He checks himself back into the game in the in, in, in the first half, but he was you know, you know hobbled all game about fifty percent. Um And their defense
0: did a wonderful job to keep the game close until
1: the end. Um, but it it's one where they might be able to catch a team in the first round if they make the playoffs. Um, probably being, you know, a home underdog, which is dangerous, but they might get a win,
0: but that's all I see for them. Yeah, they're passing off to Indian because, well, there's no way Derrick Henry should be leading your team in receptions and yards. Also, given the fact that he's not even a receiving running back, it's not like he's Christian McCaffrey or Tony Pollard or Alvin Kamara or, you know, Darren Sproles in his prime or somebody like that. Like, Derrick Henry is a typical power, under-center running back. You're running between the tackles. Like, they specifically have him off the field on third downs. Like, that's not his game. So that just shows you how dark things are in that wide receiving room uh, for the Tennessee Titans. And partly, this is the reason why their GM got let go, because there is no A.J. Brown there to make those plays down the field. So, in terms of the Chargers... Right now, they're the sixth seed. If the playoffs started today, they would be on the road in Cincinnati. They've had competitive games with the Chiefs. They have not played faced the Bills yet, though I think potentially maybe they could give the Bills some issues. Justin Herbert's a guy who can play in inclement weather in Buffalo, right? He can make those type of throws. I think the Chargers are probably the most talented team any of those three teams could face opening week and wildcard weekend. Could the Chargers upset one of those teams?
1: Oh, yeah, they definitely could. Um, they're definitely in their group. I mean, Miami, Baltimore, Chargers, all those teams could win in the first round. Um, they definitely could do that, but, you know, they have protection issues. Justin Herbert, a couple of key sacks on third downs, couple of misfires on third downs. They got pressure on him. Not make the throws. Uh, you know, their their run game, it's one that it, it, they they don't run it a lot to begin with, let alone run it well. And then their defense has a lot of cracks in it. Now, their, their passing defense recently, today, against Miami has been very good but I just don't like them having to go on the road and everyone knows their run defense struggles so now the team you know you get one of these teams that they got to go if they got to go on the road you know and play like a Cincinnati or play that three seed whoever it is um, having to play one of those quarterbacks on the road and you got that pass team to deal with then you know opposing teams can run it and control the clock be in favorable situations I don't like that combination of having to go on the road with a bad run defense either and then you get some questionable decisions by Brandon Staley. here we go again first drive of the game they're going for it on fourth fourth down on the 20 and and you know, not, not taking the points early, And that was on the first possession. So there's going to be some questionable calls on fourth down. And, you know, those calls get examined closer. They seem like they swing the game even more. They're highly, you know, looked at in the playoffs. So you're going to have to factor in a couple of those plays as well. Um, so it's one where on paper... They look like they could go on a big run, but, you know, based on how they played this year, they might be a team that, you know, I would put them at a game, maybe they win a game, but it's going to be hard for them to win um, that second game on the road against one of those top three teams.
0: So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break and come next to the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to continue to talk about everything that went down for week 15 in of an action. Come okay, next to the break on um, Barbershop Sports Talk. I'm going to take my horse to the water, over. I'm going to ride till I can't. No more, I'm going to take my horse to the water, over. I'm going to ride back with Barbershop Sports Talk stuff Kenny Sim with us So Kenny Bengals versus Buccaneers the Bengals come back and win down by ten plus points end up winning by ten plus points Jamar Chase didn't even have necessarily a great game the Bengals they're just in their bag right now aren't they Kenny
1: Yeah yeah, they took advantage, you gotta give the team credit, they took advantage of the mistakes that Tampa did in the third quarter, and they they took advantage of those, and they were down really at halftime, Tampa was in full control of this game, and then just a, just an abundance of mistakes, self-imposed. Happened and the Bengals took advantage of them. I think the Bengals have three straight possessions where they're starting deep in Tampa territory and they were able to turn that, you know, 17 points in the third quarter and then then they start getting going with their normal self in the fourth quarter and they were able to just string together, you know, scoring drive after scoring drive.
0: Yeah,, uh, in terms of Tampa, how disappointing was it for them to build a lead like this and just melt down? And I get it this hasn't been the vintage Tom Brady season, a vintage season what we would have expected for the Buccaneers, but like, y- you can't end up losing by double digits when you're up as big as they were and controlling the game like they were. That's just unexcusable.
1: self-imposed, it's just these self-imposed mistakes of a bad team. And they run a fake punt. Up back Gio Bernard looked like he was the only one that did not know it was a fake punt. The ball hits off his face mask. Then they had tip ball interception. Then Tom Brady gets strip sacked. Um, You know, they came around the edge like that. Um, And then Routine handoff in week fifteen. Routine handoff to Leonard Fournette. Ball goes on the ground. So you add up all of those and and it's it's these self imposed mistakes that they had. And you know, you take a look at the Bengals scoring drives when, when they scored on that. I mean they started every single possession on the Tampa thirty or better. So and, and then you take a look at another thing about the bad teams is you know, what is the points off turnovers and the Bengals were twenty one to three today in points off turnovers. So you know, you know, you take that out and it's a totally different game. So it's just these you know, it's just these self <clears throat> it's these turnovers and this inconsistent play that has really plagued the Buccaneers' offense all year. I mean, it was between that. You know, the San Francisco last week was a disaster. The Saints game a few weeks ago, they were bad for 58 minutes of that game before Tom Brady heroics. They were bad against Cleveland. They had the one mirage game against uh, Seattle in Germany, and here we are. What I see is you take away... I mean, you take away those Tom Brady comebacks, so those late-game comebacks against...
0: Uh, the, Rams, the Rams, yeah, one against the Rams, yeah. The,
1: I mean, the Rams and the Saints, you take that out, and they're 4-10. and ten. So this is just not a good team.
0: There were rumors reported by The Athletic this week that people believe Tom Brady's going to retire this season. Do you think it's time, Kenny?
1: I would say next year he ends up playing, but is that a? It, it's not in Tampa though. Yeah. I... So he has. He's a free agent. I checked this. So I went and checked the. Um, the quarterbacks that were available. He is a free agent, and I believe he also has the no tag clause, so he can't be franchise tagged. So he'll be a straight free agent. Um, but I don't see him coming back to Tampa. It's a lot like how it ended, last How it ended in New England, where it's an old team. You look at the path going forward. How are they going to get better to get to the Super Bowl level again? It, it seems like you know, after going all in for the last couple of years, they do need a little bit of a rebuild. You know, with pieces getting younger, um, and and so. I would say it's looking like he
0: will play next year, but it won't be in Tampa. I've heard New England. I've heard San Fran. Those are two particular places that I've heard people try to point to. But it, it would seem weird if he retired because it's like, didn't he get divorced from Giselle because he wanted to keep playing football? But to me it seems weird because it's like, if you were going to retire this year, why did he come back at all? So all of it just seems very weird and it has me guessing' Because none of this he's really gone, makes sense
1: yeah and he could have gone out on top even you know one winning the Super Bowl and then last year um statistically he had a very good season last year could have gone out on top and got nothing else to accomplish this year you know he's he's been he's been good but below his standards. You know he's he's been he's, he's he's been playing solid football, winning football, but it's far below his standards. And you know he, he is getting up. To, he's gonna be four forty six, but it's looking like he's not. You know, he wants to get rid of the ball quickly. You know, not wanting to get hit. It looks like he's he's avoiding getting hit. Um, a lot. It's probably a smart thing to do, but also adds up to, you know, really quick short passes so that eliminates the downfield ability and then sometimes just eating it on sacks. So uh, virtually no play is being extended.
0: So now we're going to go to the New York Jets. They lose to the Detroit Lions. Props to the Detroit Lions winning 22-17. First of all, how big is this for the Dan Campbell and Holmes era in Detroit? I know Detroit, they have not been good for years, it seems like. The ghost of Barry Sanders, Calvin Johnson, retired. It seems people only remember them for the Dominicans who stepping on Aaron Rodgers on Thanksgiving. How good was this for Detroit? This
1: was a great win on the road, where they typically don't do well. And they go on the road in a tough game against a top-five defense. So that possessed problems for Jared Goff. Having to play outside in the cold gives problems for Jared Goff. So this was definitely a situation where it was going to be a tough game. Maybe one or two plays swinging in the Jets' direction. To come out with a win was huge for them. So... Now, they've won three in a row. They've won six out of seven since starting the year, one and six. They've won six out of seven, and they are as hot as any team in the NFL behind that offense. And they've put themselves really in a... uh, really in a situation where the playoffs are a a likelihood that could happen they have a very good chance to run the table here and close the year winning 9 of 10 and they're a half a game back of the Washington Commanders but it's been a great story it's been one where a plan in year 2 is being put together And, you know, the first year, it's tough always for the new coach and GM. But, you know, you take a look at where they're at. They won two games last year. And in year two, they're up to seven right now. And they're probably going to win a few more games before the season's over. But this this is good. This is right where they were expected to be at seven wins, and it probably eclipsed that. Uh, But, you know, with what offensive coordinator Ben Johnson is doing, with what their defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn has been doing, you know, making adjustments from the first half
0: of the year to the second half of the year, it's a program that is really going in the right direction. So, Zach Wilson got the start today. Mike White was out with ribs. Zach Wilson made some nice throws, Kenny. uh, He made a few. Obviously, there were some that he left on the field. Did Zach Wilson do enough to potentially regain the job at all? Or is it going back to Mike White? I think it
1: should go back to Mike White. I made made a few throws. I thought he was terrible, though, today. You know, this is one where he needs to rebuild the trust on the field and off the field. I mean, you got to picture this is a team that this is a team with you the entire team and their wide receivers. They're wearing the T-shirts with Mike White on it.
0: No, they love Mike White. That's their guy. He has the locker I know. room. And, and
1: so that's a tough, So that's a that's a tough situation. That I mean, they don't even like Zach Wilson.
0: <laughs> and so it's. It's one where he might,
1: I mean, there's a good chance he actually will start next week on a short week. Mike White has broken ribs that need to be repaired, but also that could set him up for a possible, you know, rib that comes loose and punctures a lung. So on a short week, I don't know if he's going to be able to be cleared by doctors um, next Thursday against Jacksonville. So Zach Wilson might get a. Another start, but right now there's a lot of repair. It might be too much to overcome for him. But just looking at it, I just don't see. You know, just laying out the archetype of his career in New York. Just if he is there, just what happens next year and in two years, is how that plays out. I mean, there there doesn't seem to be a future right now for him with the Jets.
0: Yeah, and that's one thing I pointed out when it first happened I was kind of like I don't feel like you can go back and Mike White is playing well enough like Mike White's a decent quarterback I mean I don't he was drafted in what the 6th round but decent arm tough kid the locker room loves him they're winning football games like I think right now Robert Sala might be kind of like well I mean he's a competent at the quarterback position right with 53
1: seconds left and they kind of throw a short pass at the sticks and they let about 20 seconds run off the clock without a timeout. And then Zach Wilson gets sacked. So then they use their their first timeout with 19 seconds left in the game. And that would have came in handy. It just really would have came in handy if you think about, you know, having the ball at midfield with two timeouts and 50 seconds left to get in field goal range. Um, you know, so definitely if you go back and watch, Very questionable clock management by Robert Sala. Actually, the hand grenade that Zach Wilson threw on on 4th and 18 to get a first down, you know, it was a nice play he made. And Elijah Moore did the rest to get, you know, the first down, but then also get down for them to use their final timeout um, to set up a potential game-time kick. But it was... That, I mean, he, uh, the, the one interception he threw was, it was late on the sideline that was intercepted by the safety. Balls like that, you know, the deep pass, the fade, and the out route cannot be underthrown. Or those are interceptions. So that was, you know, that did happen. Uh, but definitely one where after showing some life and getting the lead on a nice drive Uh, tough one for the Jets to lose and this is one where whoever lost this game huge dent in their in in their uh, playoff chances
0: yeah I mean the Jets look like they're going to be potentially be on the outside looking in on the AFC playoff race so now we're going to go to this the Minnesota Vikings and the Indianapolis Colts Kenny is this a negative that the Vikings were down by 33 to the Colts? Or positive that the Vikings came back and won in overtime?
1: It's it's definitely both. It's definitely both. There was a tale of two halves. There was two different teams in each half. So, being down 33 at halftime with all of the mistakes that they made was definitely a sign that you know the Vikings not as good as their record was and then it took a combination of them playing perfect in the second half and then the Colts just giving that game away multiple times Um, and then ultimately The Vikings got the win there. But it was two different halves for them. It was two different teams, both positive and negative for them. I don't think you're going to say too much of a negative when they now have the biggest comeback in NFL history at 33 points down.
0: Yeah. Such a tale of two halves. Kenny. When the uh, first half, you were like, they suck. And in the second half, I'm like, how did this end up happening? They really came back. But my biggest takeaway, the Vikings are clearly second echelon of the NFC. They're not doing this coming down from 33 points BS against the Dallas Cowboys, the Philadelphia Eagles, or the San Francisco 49ers. That is my biggest takeaway. That will not happen. You can do that on the Indianapolis Colts and Jeff Saturday, who was just working at ESPN two months ago. You're not doing that against Kyle Shanahan in the divisional round. You're not doing that. I mean, maybe you might do that against Mike McCarthy. (laughs) Mike McCarthy's been bamboozled a few times, but you're not doing that against Asuriani. You're not doing it against the top teams and the top coaches. You're just not. Awful way to make a living. And this was the worst 10-3
1: team by DVOA ever, if you also gave them a loss, it would be the worst 9-4 team by DVOA. It was still a team 10-3, and three, but they were a minus-1 point differential. They're still getting outscored through 13 games. They're just winning, you know, what's this, their, their, their 10th win now by one possession, but it was how... Not ready to play they were to start the game. So it it was the special team. It was the black punt. And then it was the fumble. And then they go for it. You know, panic move. You know, I know you're down 17, but this was, I mean, we're 10 minutes into the game. The fourth down does not get converted. They get blown off the ball on the run to Dalvin Cook that was the turnover and downs. And then the Kirk Cousins pick six. You know, bad read there, bad decision there. So it was just the snowball effect of everything that could go wrong. I mean, it was every, I mean, it was offense, defense, special teams. Every series, there was something that could go wrong for them. And again, a lot of that too, a lot of that too, which is not good, um, was was self-imposed as well.
0: Yeah, and I do want to say this really quickly. What if NFL standings, if you turn back all the one possession games for the Vikings this year, Kenny, they would be one and twelve. So instead exactly. of winning instead exactly. of winning all of them, they lose all of them. They're one and twelve. And then just to let everybody know, there are some teams like the Niners. If you take away all the Niners one possession games, they're eight and four. Right? So that's not Necessarily a massive change. Get, Kenny, I'll give you one that you like. If you turn away all the Browns one possession games, they're they're like eight and five. They're in the playoffs. And hey, now so uh the Bills are still the playoffs. The Bills are uh eight and five, right? Uh, so I do think that is very interesting though when you look at the Vikings. They go from being one of the best teams in the league to being one of the worst teams in the league. The Vikings, they're not that talented, they've won close games. All the props to them, but there's another level that they do not have when it comes to winning those games against the upper tier of the NFL.
1: Yeah, them and the Giants have won a lot of one-score games. So, you know, one-score games are generally 50-50 propositions. You know, your record should be about 500 in those type of spots. So overachieving like that, um, the Vikings would be a prime candidate to regress next year.
0: And it's actually great you mentioned the Giants. I'll tell you what theirs would be, Kenny. theirs would be two ten and one, so they'd be awful too. <laughs> the yeah, they were winning a lot of close games at the end, so that's another team as well. You
1: know, if if if, if they don't improve, another team prime candidate to regress, uh, with with a huge uh win discrepancy from 2022 to 2023.
0: So what we're going to do is we're going to take another break, and then get up next with a break on Barbershop Sports Talk. We're going to keep talking week 15 of Venable Action. Get up next with a break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk. Still Kenny Sim with us. So, Kenny, the Las Vegas Raiders beat the New England Patriots, 30 to 24. McDaniel's gets the better of Belichick, and kind of a weird ending. What did you think of this game?
1: This was one where, you know, it's post game. Started off. Ramondre Stevenson scored a touchdown. So, the Patriots took their first lead of the game with 3.43 left. Then that's just when the fun began. Because Keenan Cole caught a touchdown. It definitely looked like his left foot was touching the white. They did not overrule it. They kept it on the field. Even Dean, Dean Blandino thought it was out of bounds. But they gave him the score. And then, this was a tie game. So... Remember that. Stevenson then runs for three seconds left to essentially get the game to overtime. He gets it to the 30 at least, and he laterals it back. You know, maybe something crazy happens. And then Jacoby Myers has the ball. I don't know if Jacoby Myers thought that the Patriots were losing or whatnot, but just a total mental breakdown he then laterals the ball and he throws it 20 yards backwards where Chandler Jones then basically intercepts it and he then plows Matt Jones into the ground and covers the fumble then 45 yards to end the game but you know very just very curious, curious move by Kobe Myers what, what is he doing with that, I mean, making something happen out of nothing or just go out of bounds. I mean, again, I don't know if you thought that they were losing. I mean, just go out of bounds. It's 24-24. It's, it's you go to overtime and play it out then. But, you know, throwing the ball backwards like that is a recipe for disaster. And that loss is one of those games where it's, it's just – as stunning an ending as you're going to see, and that's definitely not hyperbole. There, there's been a few of those, you know, like that, like like the, um, you know, the Dolphins did that against the Patriots a few years ago. They kind of lateral lateral they score a touchdown, punting the Giants punting to Deshaun Jackson in 2010. But those are the type of endings. But this one, this this lateral return, so improbable and. Again, the game just would have been tied, so I'm not sure if the Patriots would have won. But with the loss, though, this is one that it, it definitely hurts their playoff chances a lot.
0: Yeah, that was a tough one for New England. So, let me read you some tweets, what people were saying after the game. Jason LaCafora says, Patriots should give Zappy a chance also. Should have hired a real offensive coordinator. Thoughts, Kenny?
1: The offensive coordinator one should have been done. You know, Matt Patrice is a defensive guy. Joe Judge is a special teams guy. That was already hesitant to begin with. Coming into this year, with kind of a limited, a limited offensive skill pool to work with. So there's a ton of merit there on this. They warned in New England; none of those guys would be offensive coordinators. And so, you know, one of the moves in the offseason is. It's definitely a logical one is to bring back, bring back Bill O'Brien from Alabama. Bring him back in as an offensive coordinator. He's an NFL play caller. He's worked with Matt Jones at Alabama. And that will be the offensive coordinator to get a full evaluation of Matt Jones. Now, Matt Jones is taking a step back. Lot of that too has been due to you know you have Josh McDaniels in your ear now and then you go to Matt Patricia so that change in coaching you know coaching definitely matters that change in coaching is uh not good for Mac Jones so definitely in year three if you bring in the guy with the Bill O'Brien then oh, after next year I think there'll be a good evaluation on what to do
0: with Matt Jones. So I'm going to give you another tweet that people said. Uh, the New England Patriots are the worst coach team in the NFL. That's right. Belichick, I'm calling you out and your son's out. And okay. that goes for Matt, screen, Patricia too. <laughs> are Patriots fans getting a little too frisky? Yeah,
1: There's a lot of poorly coached teams in the NFL, far worse than that. Um, Yeah, yeah.
0: Kenny's like, leave Belichick alone. Belichick's like, kiss my rings.
1: But there is also one, but but, but two is, 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 one is today though with, you know, a team that uses, coaches a lot of situational football and has historically been excellent in, you know, knowing the time, the down and distance, all those types of situations. Again, a huge gaffe on Jacoby Myers and what he was thinking. You know, did, did he think that they were losing when the lateral start, start, start started happening? And just, you know, laddering the ball 20, 20 yards back, I don't know what the outcome was, was going to be. And giving it, you know, back to Mac Jones like that. So, just really, really poor decision right there. Really poor.
0: Chances the Raiders can sneak in as a seventh seed.
1: Now this gets a little, a little difficult. So this was their last. This was. Oh, I I was looking at the uh, Patriots schedule. The Patriots have a tough schedule uh, to end the year, but. You know, they're going to need a win out. And then at 9 and 8, probably need some help. So head to heads, conference records come in. But next week, uh, they play at the Steelers. So, short week on the road, especially after a huge win like that. That's a good spot for a loss. And then they got to play that juggernaut that is San Francisco. And then they end the year with Kansas City. I have a feeling Kansas City is probably going to need to play that game to secure the one seed or the two seed. So they're going to be playing to win. So it's going to be hard you know, to go nine. It's, it's, it's going to be hard to win against the 49ers and Chiefs. Uh, that might be the Super Bowl this year. It's going to be hard to beat the 49ers and Chiefs and finish with nine wins. So... You know, they dug themselves into a hole, and they have no one to blame but themselves. What, they blow three, uh, four at least this year, of 17 or more points. So that's going to be their undoing when they look back at this year.
0: So now let's go to the Saints and the Falcons. The Saints win... 21-18, to 18. Marcus Mariota not playing on IR. Desmond Ritter gets his first career start. What did you make of Desmond Ritter?
1: You know, tough start on the road to begin with. Um, he did not turn it over, but, you know, the, the passing game is going to be – you know, tough early on for a rookie, especially against a team that's going to, you know, do a lot of a lot of different looks pre-snap to when the ball is snapped. A lot of complex coverages. Mm-hmm. So this was going to be, you know, a difficult position in for Desmond Ritter. So he completes fifty percent of his passes under a hundred yards. Um, he he had a couple of nice runs. As the game went on, I felt he got better. They were able to orchestrate a couple of a couple of solid scoring drives in the second half uh, to get this to be a ball game. And actually, actually in this game, um, with about a minute left, Desmond Ritter was orchestrating a fourth quarter comeback to potentially tie the game. And he threw a nice, a nice route over the middle, a deep pass over the middle to uh, Drake London at the Saints' forty about. So they were getting on the cusses uh, on, on the precipice of field goal range. But he threw a nice route, um, and then Drake London had the ball ripped out for a turnover to end the game. But you know, if, if he does not do that, they got the ball at the forty and they're getting closer to field goal range. So. I felt
0: as as the game went on, he got better, though. So, I do want to take this time to talk a little bit about the NFC South in general. One of the worst divisions of my lifetime. So, I want to give you who the NFC South is in the running with for worst divisions ever. We have the 2010 NFC West. Remember that division, Kenny? Yeah. So the Seattle Seahawks won with a seven and nine record. They would end up beating the defending champion New Orleans Saints. Marshawn Lynch had that iconic run, folks. If you don't remember that run, you just look up Marshawn Lynch beast mode on YouTube. I'm sure that's the first thing that will come out. Come up uh, that year, the Rams were also seven and nine. I believe that was Sam Bradford's rookie year. Uh, the Niners were six and ten. Uh, Alex Smith was still there. Mike Singletary. Oh my gosh, that was such a long time ago. And then you have the Arizona Cardinals at 5-11. That was the 2010 NFC West. Then we get to the 2020 NFC East. You have the Commanders at 7-9. The Giants at 6-10. The Cowboys at 6-10. And and the Eagles at 4-11-1. And then now we have the 2022 NFC South. The Buccaneers right now are 6 and 8, the Panthers are 5 and 9, the Saints are 5 and 9 and the Falcons are 5 and 9. Out of those three divisions, Kenny, which one was the worst? Probably. Uh, I
1: might say this one right now.
0: Really? Okay. I mean, they got twenty-one. I'm, I'm trying
1: to count, count count up the wins, so they got they got twenty-one wins right now. Um, they got to play each other, but that's gonna be right around. That's that's gonna be right around where the uh, 2020 NFC East was, and you know, all of them have a negative point differential. But this is also a division where. You know, I'm just looking at after Brady. I don't know if there could have been worse quarterbacks. So you got Carolina, which has eventually settled on Sam Donald. You got Andy Dalton, and then Mariota, and then now with Desmond Ritter. So, you know, at least in 2020, they had a rookies that you want to take a look at that maybe had a chance to be, you know, long term starters or Jalen Hurts and Daniel Jones at the time. This one is I still don't see three of these teams their 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 starting quarterback next year is not on the roster. So you add that up with with also, this one has an interim coach who got fired. So, I do not think the 2020 East had it. The 2010 West, don't think there was an interim coach. So, you got one with an interim coach. Uh, one who might be replaced by Dennis Allen at the end of the year. So, you add up all of that. It's really the ineptitude of this division where... I just, by default, I just lean the box because these other three teams with the quarterbacks, interim coaches, all that, rookie quarterbacks trying to get a look at. I just don't like any of these three teams. That I mean, I don't know who's going to go on the run to get to the sixth win. Carolina New New Orleans play the last week of the year, so someone's going to win that game. But
0: this might be a division. Hey, they might tie it, Kenny. Don't be so sure somebody wins. Uh, yeah, they might tie as well. <laughs> now, 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 Tampa
1: has Arizona, and then they play Carolina and Atlanta at the end of the year. So, so they play three teams with losing records. But seeing how Tampa is, this could be one where Tampa might win this at, 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 at seven and ten which would also be the worst of those of those three divisions that you spoke about. That would be the worst record of a division champ. But eight and nine, seven and ten, that's probably gonna be the the winning record in this division.
0: Yeah, what probably gives the NFC West the edge in two thousand ten was the Seattle Seahawks actually won a playoff game. Right, the commanders or the football team at the time almost beat the Buccaneers. Do you see whoever wins this division being able to compete against the Cowboys? Maybe the Bucks? Only the Bucs. Only the
1: Bucs. Um you know, just because they beat them handedly um this year. In, in week one. They have the defense. They do have the defense with a full week in postseason to prepare for where I would say they can hold the Cowboys around that 20 point mark, 23 point mark, which then the Bucks should you know, the Bucks should be within a one possession game. And you know, you still gotta like the chances with a veteran team with Brady in that spot. But it's just because of Tom Brady. You know, you saw what he did against the Rams and the Saints this year, sixteen to three. That that possibility always remains open. But you know, if you're a football fan as well, I would say you want the Bucks to win this just because you want all the playoff teams to be good. At least with the Bucks you have that shot. I mean, if you get the Saints against the Cowboys or the Falcons against the Cowboys, I don't see the Cowboys losing that game, and that game might be double digits. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, yeah. It won't be an exciting playoff game where you really hope you know all six games that weekend are exciting. Don't know if that's going to be the case if the Bucks don't win the division.
0: So now we're going to go to the Carolina Panthers. They lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers. What are your thoughts on the Panthers' performance? This is one where they had they had
1: an opportunity today in a good spot and again it's all these teams that are bad. They kind of laid an egg. So they allowed the Steelers to get the lead today and then their offense was totally inept. There was countless amount of third and goal sacks by Sam Darnold. Um, you know, a quarterbacks cannot take sacks down there in the red zone and you know, they were kicking field goals to try to keep it within a possession, but their 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 offense though was just It was just not good enough today. After their first score, they go, they go three punts and then three field goals the rest of the way. And like I said, those field goals were in bad spots of the field. You know, right on the goal line, you want to get seven instead of three. They were keeping field goals to try to keep it within eleven, keep it within a possession. Um, So not the best game for that offense and then their defense unfortunately you know their defense is playing better at least um they kind of got gashed on the ground you know the Steelers used their combination of running backs to control the clock and Mitch Trubisky only 5 incompletions he was able to kind of play ahead of schedule and not turn the ball over and when they had the lead, it's just way easier to play um, with the lead than playing from behind.
0: And lastly, Packers versus Rams. Who you got?
1: Yeah. So this is one where the Packers come in. You know, both teams, both teams pretty bad. You know, even with that win last week, Los Angeles is still not playing. Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald is out. So this is one where they're just playing out the string. Uh, I don't think the Packers should be favored over seven against anyone. Now this game will be about fifteen degrees. Um but Raheem Morris seems to be you know one where They have a good idea what this type of offense in Green Bay is doing. So they should be able to keep it close there. Maybe running the ball with Cam Akers. But it's hard to see them going on the road like that and winning a game in the cold in Green Bay, no matter how bad they are. So you got to pay attention here to this one. It is Green Bay by about 7. But I like the Packers. This one close, 20-17. Got to 17. Gotta pay attention to the scores there on that one.
0: Kenny, I am not think you've on the podcast, man. I appreciate it.
1: Nice. We'll do it again next week.
0: And once again, I want to thank Kenny Sim for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 517th episode of Berbershop Sports Talk.